praise the Lord. I've been looking forward to sharing our Mother's Day message with you all um, because I was uh, thinking that I was wanting to share with you who we are as a church family. And, um, and I think that that's really important. Um, this year, as you know, we're celebrating 25 years of pastoring and we felt, both Stephen and myself, that we really wanted to talk about, um, talk with the church family about who we are and, and what we believe and what are the core values of our church, what's our church culture. And we really feel that God has asked us to do that. I mean, Stephen and I have been walking with the Lord for about 32 years and then we planted this church 25 years ago. And um, every church has a culture, every family has a culture. Some of those you know, cultures are unwritten things, but their, their values or their core beliefs, they're the heart of who we are. And so um, I'm wanting to share some more about that. I shared that earlier this year in February, a few scriptures that have been milestone, foundational um, scriptures in our, in our life, and uh, shared some of those, um, some more scriptures in our, um, our girls' breakfast on, in March. And so there's a few more that I'm going to share this morning, and I really believe that God is going to uh, shift some things in the spirit realm. I believe there's a, it's a prophetic message, um, and that it's meant to challenge us. It's meant to take us into another place. It's not meant to condemn us, but that God wants to do something. God is ready to do something in the earth, uh, and he's uh, wanting to shift things. And he already has. He started shifting. Something changed at the beginning of this year. Um, in fact, I was at the worship team on Wednesday, and I walked out. Our worship team was here, and the Stomp Kids Holiday Program, I was doing something, I think, on Wednesday, and I walked out, and I felt something hit me in the back, and it was the spiritual thing. And I just felt something shifting in the, in the spirit realm, everybody. God's ready to do something in, in, in the nation. He's ready to do some powerful things, and he needs you. He absolutely needs you. He will not work without you. He'll need, he may have to find someone else, but he works with people. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So why don't we pray, and then we're going to launch out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We've had some fun um, with you, and Lord God, that your joy definitely is our strength. And right now, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and to speak to us, Lord, concerning us serving your purposes uh, in our generation. And so we just thank you right now, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we thank you for coming and resting on each one of us. And the words that I speak, Holy Spirit, I pray that they would go into each heart. They would go into each mind. Lord, there would be no distractions. In fact, Satan, I just command you right now to get out of this place. Any distractions, we just say right now, no, you're not coming to steal the word, Satan. You're not coming to steal the word that is sown in the hearts of God's people. We declare that that word is going into their hearts and it is going to bring forth fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold in each life in this place. And so, Father, we thank you for that right now. We refuse right now to allow ourselves to get distracted, but, Lord, that you're speaking to us. God is speaking to us. And so, Father, we thank you for the privilege of having you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, as I said, Stephen and I believe absolutely that we've moved into a new season, and God is ready to do some marvelous things. You know, the former reign, the Bible talks about that in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And we are the end time church. We are absolutely in the end times. And how long that end times is going to be, I'm not quite sure. But certainly, um, God prophetically said that when Israel became a nation again, which happened in 1948, it said there prophetically, Jesus said that that, that generation that sees Israel become a nation again, which happened in 1948, that generation will not pass away until everything is fulfilled. And so 1948 was a wee while ago. And so God says that generation that is alive on the earth at that time will not pass away, will not move on into eternity, either in heaven or in hell, but that they will see all things come to pass. And so we're talking about some end time stuff. We are an end time church. We are in end times. You can have a look and see uh, on the news and you read the Bible, you read Matthew 20, uh, 24, 25, 26 and you'll start to see, my goodness me, there's some things lining up here right now. Nations are lining up. And so this is a, a powerful time. This is an opportunity. This is a kairos 
time. The word says kairos is a time in God for us to do something and to live for the purposes of God. To live for the purposes of God. And so that's what this message is all about. And in order for us to do what God has requiring us to do, we need as a church, I'm talking about the body of Christ, but then every local church, we need to be of one heart. We need to be of one mind. We need to be of one culture making one sound. God said in Genesis 11, he says when he came and visited the earth and the people were one, God says that the people are making one sound. They're of one mind, one heart. They were building a tower for themselves. They were into idol worship. And it was a satanic, it was a satanic agreement that they had. But God said something very interesting in Genesis 11. He says that the people are one. And now nothing that they imagine to do will be impossible to them. Because the people are one. And I remember reading that as a young believer and thinking, my goodness me, God said this. God doesn't exaggerate. He means what he says and says what he means. And God says the people are one. They are making one sound. And now nothing that they imagine to do will be impossible to them. And so God came down and he confused their languages. And that's where we get our languages today. And so all of a sudden they started speaking and they were no longer making one sound. They couldn't understand each other. And the Bible says they were scattered out throughout the whole earth. And so God has brought the church together and we're making one sound. This Bible, this culture. This Bible is our sound. It's a sound of faith. It's a sound of war. It's a sound of worship. It's a sound of honor, of integrity, of excellence, of servanthood, of sacrifice. There is a sound. We come out of the kingdoms of this world and we come into another kingdom and that kingdom has a language and that kingdom has a sound. And we're to put off all the old things that would try to hold us down and we set our face on a course and we run that race that he has set before us, and we look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And we find out that there's hundreds, there's thousands, millions of people that have gone before us, and they come into the kingdom in their time, in their generation, and they serve the purposes of God in their generation. Powerful, powerful, powerful. And so as I sort of said, we need to look at our local church, and we're wanting to have one culture, and obviously the culture comes down from the head, the culture comes down from Jesus Christ who is the head of the church, and then it comes down on his fivefold ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher of that work, and then he holds them responsible for the culture, that we are, as pastors and leaders of this house, we are watchmen on the walls, and we are responsible for the culture of this house. And you know, it's taken quite a while for me, I guess, even to be confident enough to actually talk as I am right now. But I'm getting more and more bold to think, this is who we are. This is what I stand for. If people don't like it, then go out and go to another place. Because I cannot be somebody else. I cannot be half-hearted, and I cannot serve God half-hearted. I am full-on for God. I've got a full-on personality. God made it like that. And this is who I am. And, and, and my grief and my pain and my my hurt is when I see the flock of God and they don't have that same passion. And I realize, okay, what do you do? When Jesus saw that the people didn't have, have faith, what did he do? He went and preached and he taught and he healed. And so he goes and he, he, he preaches the word and he puts the word out there. Why? Because then faith can come. Faith can come. And so when Jesus saw there was unbelief, he saw that people weren't living up to the standard. What did he do? He went about. He went about and he taught them. And then he preached and declared it to them. And then the people would rise up and they'd have faith to walk on what God's called them to do. And so I'm introducing it like that. Hopefully I'm not sounding too serious. But that's where we're going as a church. The church worldwide, the church community-wide, and at Victory. That's where we're going. Praise the Lord. You know, it's interesting. At the beginning of the year, God got Stephen to talk about change your attitudes, change your actions. He says, why do you go your own way, doing your own thing? God says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, my ways aren't your ways. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so God got Stephen to start talking about our ways and our thoughts and asking us to align them with God's ways and God's thoughts. Then God got Stephen to start talking about the heart. You know, above all else, guard your heart because out of it flows everything in your life. And it's interesting how 
God is moving us into this place talking about, about who we are, talk, talking about hard things and some heavy things. Some, it's not kind of like the milk of the word. It's not like kind of rah, rah, rah um, stuff. It's more moving and doing some heart surgery. And it's quite interesting because when God does that, if you look in history, and even recent history, when God starts talking about repentance, and he starts talking about heart things, that's actually the place of revival. That is the place of reformation. You have a look and you, you look at recent church history over the last 200 years and they started preaching on the heart, started preaching on repentance, started preaching on, hey, I've decided to follow Jesus, I'm not looking back. And you find people were pouring themselves onto the, coming to the altar and giving themselves to the Lord. Pensacola is a recent revival where that was happening. People coming down, hundreds, thousands of people. You had to line up outside the door to get in just to say, God, I want to serve you. Toronto Blessing was the same. And so God is doing something in our lives. And uh, I want to be a part of it. He's doing something in the earth. And I want to be a part of what he's doing. I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be right in the middle of what he's doing in the earth. Praise God. And so let's have a look at that first scripture that um, Stephen had. Above all else, it says, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows out from that. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You know, our relationship with God flows from our heart. The heart is where we make a resolve that I'm actually going to serve Jesus with my life. With the number of days that I've got on this earth, I'm going to give this to him. I get one chance at this. I get one life. And with this life, I'm going to give it to him. I am a living sacrifice unto him, my life. And so what do we do? We don't do that with our mind. We do that with our heart. It's interesting. Jesus says here that out of the heart flows good, and out of the heart also flows that which is evil. Well, in God's sight, what's good and what's evil? What is if we serve the purposes of God? You know, there was two sons in the Old Testament. There was um, uh, Jacob and Esau. And it's interesting how God said that he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. I'm thinking, God? What's that about? You loved one and you hated another. It wasn't so much the people themselves. It was what they stood for. Jacob was passionate about his inheritance. He was passionate about the purposes of God. And Esau, you find if you read his story, he sold his birthright. He was the first son. The birthright, the inheritance, the leadership, the anointing was to come down upon the older son. And he was to lead. But we find out that he was hungry one day and he wanted to eat something. And so he said to his younger brother, he said, look, give me the stew that you've made. And Jacob, who was passionate about the purposes of God and serving God, said, listen, if you give me your birthright and I'll give you my stew. And so the older ended up selling his birthright for the present, for the pleasures of sin which are only for a season, for pleasure, for natural things, which are only for a season. And so God says, Jacob, I've loved, I love the passion of this man. I love what he's doing and what he wants to do for me. And Esau, I love him as a person, but God, I don't, I don't like what he's done. Parents, you know, with your children, you love your children, but there's some things, my goodness me, you don't like, there's some things that you would like to remove. And God feels the same. He loves every single one of us. But my goodness me, there's some behavior that he just doesn't like. In fact, he hates it. Why? Because he's actually got something better for you. Parents, there's things that you don't like that your children do. Why? Because you've got something better for them. You've got something far better for them than what they're mucking around with right now. And God is like that. And so we find out here that Esau sold his heritage for the present. He sold it for a pot of stew. And that's impacted my life. I thought, no, I don't want to sell. There's lots of things that will come into our life, lots of things that will be offered to us. Satan offered Adam and Eve the fruit. It was good. It was good. But it brought death. And so there's lots of beautiful things out there in the earth. 
But if I go after those things, it will bring death to my calling. It will bring death to the purposes of God that he's put me on this earth for. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's look at this here in Acts 20, 24, the Living Bible. Paul says, talking about Paul, he said, life is worth nothing. Life is worth nothing unless it is used for doing the work assigned me from the Lord. Let me read that again. Life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me from the Lord. My life is worth nothing. It's incredible. You think about that. Unless I do, I'm doing the work assigned me. God has got an assignment for you. God says, before you were born, I knew you. And I set you apart. Before you were born. He said that about Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, who am I? God, who am I? And God says, before you were born, I knew you. And I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations and you will go to all to whom I send you and that which I command you to speak you will not be afraid of their faces before he was born what was Jeremiah going to do God I'm a youth I can't speak I'm afraid that prophet he served God for decade after decade in a backslidden nation at a time and he was a light he was a light declaring he served the purposes of God and his generation. You see, our life is worth nothing unless we serve the purposes of God in our generation. We're not responsible for the previous generations, what they've done, but when we're living, we're living right now, there is an assignment. There is a work that you have been called to do. There absolutely is. God is no respecter of persons. Before you were born, God said, I knew you when I formed you in my womb, in, in, in the womb. And so when a child has been formed in the womb and that spirit comes in to that child that's been formed in the womb, there is a story that's written in heaven about that. And God wants heaven and earth to connect. And it's our responsibility to connect with the heavenly vision. Praise the Lord. You see, our life is worth nothing unless we live it to please him. Please the Lord. What is that? To fulfill our purpose on earth. Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith. How do we please God? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so how, how are we going to please God? How is God going to love our life and what we do with that? Well, it says without faith, it's impossible to please him. You see, when we've come out of darkness, we stepped into a culture of faith. You know, a culture that believes God. And so what do we believe? Well, we believe that God is. What is God? He says, I'm the great I am. He says, I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the creator. I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. I'm your deliverer. I'm your counselor. I'm your strong tower. I'm your provider. I'm your shepherd. I'm the branch. I'm the vine. When we know who God is, then we can leave this world and we can go follow Jesus. Where people don't know who he is and they think God is a hard man. The Pharisees found it hard to follow Jesus. Why? Because they had a picture of God as a hard man, legalistic, and, 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 and wanting to, as it were, as soon as they broke the law, wanting to chastise them. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when we know who he is and that he has our good in mind and that he has written a story that is exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think, the story on your life, the talents and the gifts on your life are far exceedingly abundantly above what you could ever dream or ask of. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to dwell inside each one of us. And the Holy Spirit is our coach, he's our teacher, our leader, our guide, and he will show us the way of life. Praise the Lord. And so we've stepped into this culture that we believe that God is the great I am. One day, church, we're going to stand before the great I am. We will stand before him. We will stand before him. Hallelujah.
Praise God. Praise God. We will stand before him. Thank you. Let's just pray in the spirit for a minute. Father, we thank you. We thank you right now that eternity, eternal things, destinies are being spoken to right now. Destinies are being spoken to right now. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Father God. And so believe that God is. Believe that your God is. That he's greater than any fear that you may have to step out and do what he's called you to do. Hallelujah. Believe that God has destined you for something significant. And whatever that significant is, leave that in God's hands of what that looks like. And we're going to have a look at some people's lives as, as an example to let you see. And so when we read here in the, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is an amazing book. It's what they call the Hall of Faith, where we read about the heroes of faith in the Bible who believed God in their, in their generation and did something significant for him. Something significant for him. Absolutely. You know, we talk about people like David. Let's have a look at that in Acts. This is, again, a foundation scripture, that if you grab these scriptures and, and make them yours, David was a young shepherd boy looking after the sheep, and he was practicing his covenant, looking after his, after his father's sheep. He was practicing the covenant of God, that God was his shield, that God was his reward, that God was his protector. And the lions and the bears would come to try and steal his heritage, or his inheritance, I should say. And he used the word of God. He used Jehovah, Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And he was able to tear and break the lion and the bear, or destroy the lion and the bear that would try to come and steal his inheritance. And so he was practicing where he was, where God had him at the time. He didn't know that there was a prophet that was going to come called Samuel who was going to anoint him to be king over the nation, and he was the greatest king of Israel. He didn't know that at the time. He was practicing the word, doing what he, want, he needed to do in his everyday life. And we see here in Acts 13, this is the summary of, of his life. Acts 13, 36, it says here, for when Peter, for, sorry, Peter was, I think, I think it was either Peter talking or Paul actually. So for when David had served God's purposes, or when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. So when David served God's purpose, when David served God's purpose in his own generation, wow, what a legacy to stand before the great I am and hear him say, you served, you served my purpose in your generation. Not only that, his, his life is now speaking. His life has spoken for every century since then. And his life is still speaking. His life is still being poured out for you and I, for the end time church. We're reading his life and it is still impacting us even today. Wow, what a heritage. He was a shepherd. He was a young man. And yet God had a destiny for him. You see, there is a sound there is a language coming from the heart of those that have embraced this kingdom culture. There is a language and there is a sound, and we can hear it. You can hear it. You can hear it on people. It's a culture all of its own, and it's a sound that has a resonance and it has a reverb that travels through time into the spirit realm and it activates heaven. You have a look at the sound. You have a look at the sound of Joshua. You have a look at the sound of Caleb, give me that mountain. I'm as strong now as I was 40 years ago. As was my strength then, so is my strength now. Joshua, give me that mountain. What happened? His sound of destiny, his sound of his calling of war. And at 80 years old, he took down the mountains that God had promised him. He couldn't enter in 40 years before because the other children of Israel, the 3,000, had a different sound. 
They had a sound of the natural. We can't do it. We're going to die out here. Our children are going to die. And God said, as you've spoken in my ear, so I will have to allow it to be done to you. You've spoken death and you will die in the wilderness. Was God happy with that? No, God hated that. Because he had a destiny for them to go into the promised land, to take Jericho, to take Ai, and to take over that whole area. And so he was grieved because they did not fulfill their destiny. That generation died. And God had to wait for the next generation to come on up who would believe God's word, believe that they had something significant to do in the earth. Israel was carrying something for all of the nations of the world. God had to keep them clean. He had to keep them pure and not to be contaminated by the rest of the world because that seed needed to bring forth the seed, Jesus Christ, so that the seed could then face the serpent and bring him down. And so God had strict rules around that nation so she would not be contaminated so that the pure seed could come in, who was God himself. They fulfilled, in the end, their destiny. Why? Because some people got a hold of it and would not let go. And so we find that these people, men and women of God, great people of faith, great people of the word, knowing what their covenant was, their heritage, and that God had called them to do something and would not let up, no matter what happened, what came against them. Look at this, it says here in, in Hebrews, that these, women did not, these men and women did not count their lives dear to them, that they may fulfill that purpose. And so Hebrews 11:15, it says, and truly, talking about these ones that have fulfilled God's purpose, it says here, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. That is a heavenly. And you know that's us, church. If we call to mind, oh, but oh, my life back there, it was good. It was this. It was that. My life, I don't want to call, I don't want to, call to mind those things. If I meditate and I look back, if you meditate and you look back at how good it was, it wasn't good. It's good now because you're in the kingdom. You're actually on your way to heaven. Without God, you're on your way to hell and there was no way out. There's no way out. It's an eternal. It wasn't made for human beings. It was made for spirits, disobedient angels. I'm sounding a bit serious today, aren't I? <laughs> have Stephen come back and tell some jokes. Sorry. Have Michael come back up. I don't know why I feel so serious, whether it's because people are hanging in the balance and whether there's a lost nation out there. There's nearly two, two, three, four, two, well, we're two and a half, three and a half million people, nearly four million people. How many are born again right now, church? Every, every day in New Zealand, people are actually slipping into eternity. We can't get them back out. And they're good people. There's, they're good people. Our nation is a good nation. They're beautiful people. God is needing deliverers to arise. God needs his deliverers to arise. Joshua was a deliverer. Samuel was a deliverer. David was a deliverer. Even if you take one soul with you, God rejoices. If you have just one soul that you bring into the kingdom for all your life's work, that's worth it. Absolutely worth it. And so it says here that if they called to mind the country that they'd come, they would have had been tempted to go back. But they said, no, we're looking to a, we're looking to a, a kingdom. We're looking to a nation. We're looking to a, a king. We're looking to a city that has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. And so there's another city. There's another time. And we're looking to him. And we're on an assignment down here on earth to fulfill his purposes in our generation. And so I spoke to our ladies at the breakfast and I said that we are God's excellent ones in the earth. We are the excellent ones in the earth in whom is God's delight. It says, as for the saints that are on the earth, we are his excellent ones. And you have a look at that word excellent in, in the Greek here. And it means powerful on your outline. It says gallant, glorious, good, mighty. You are noble, a principle, worthy, famous. It comes from the root word to expand and to be great. And so that's God's destiny for us. As for the saints that are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. They are the ones that I want to make famous. 
They are the ones that I want to bring into nobility, to make mighty and powerful on the earth, to expand. We're here to expand the kingdom. You think of the generations just recently that have gone before us in the last 200 years. The Reformation nations, people like Wesley that have done amazing jobs. I mean, major people, Wilberforce, fighting, Florence Nightingale, these people fighting, fighting for their generation. And the, and the, and the Reformation nations have, have been where the gospel has been preached and people have done mighty things on the earth. You look at the prosperity and the blessing that is upon the Western world until we actually left the God of our fathers and allowed Satan to cover over the wells of our salvation. But like Jacob, he went and redug the wells that his father had and the enemy came in and covered them with dirt and said, you can't have that well. And Jacob carried on digging and carried on digging until he got his own revelation and says, God has made room for me. And he started walking in the anointing that God had called him to walk in. You read it in in Genesis 26. And so it's our turn now, church. It is actually our turn. The saints that have gone before are right now the cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talked about. For we have a great cloud of witnesses, the Bible says. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set out at down at the right hand of God the Father. And so he has run his race. All the people in the Bible have run their race. It's now our turn. And we can do that because God's called us to be excellent. He's called us the glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He's filled us with his dunamis power. He's given us wisdom, knowledge, understanding. There's no way that he's called you to do something without him giving you the tools and the equipment. And so God says here in, in Proverbs 22, 29, it says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. You're going to stand before kings. God wants to bring you before kings. God has a work for us to do. And that work is to change and affect our generation. And so these people that we're talking about, these, these people in the hall of faith, they set out to fulfill God's purposes in his generation. Let's have a look at some of them. The culture of the kingdom can be seen in their lives, seen in their heart. As so I want to have a look at a few of these people, the, 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 the words that were spoken, the commitment, the servanthood, the honor, the integrity. You see, God doesn't want to work with a person that hasn't got integrity. He loves them, but he doesn't like. He doesn't like that behavior. And so we're looking, and when we're going to read here, we're going to see people that have got a sacrifice. Our king sacrificed himself. And that's the language of the kingdom. That's the culture of the kingdom. It's a culture of honor. It's a culture of servanthood, of integrity. We see people like, um, in fact, I talked about it at the ladies' breakfast, women, and we're talking about Mother's Day here. It's interesting how Deborah served God and her generation. The Bible talks about, in fact it says here, I was just looking it up before, when she came on, on the scene, it says here, the village life ceased, it had ceased in Israel, until I, Deborah, arose a prophet in Israel. And so right now we would see that the village life has ceased. You have a look at the nations in the world right now, some of the stuff that's going on. And families, broken families, broken children, broken lives. And it says here, she says, the village life ceased, had ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose, a mother in Israel. And so she arose and she came into her anointing and she sat in that place. They talked about her sitting in a, in a tree of a tree or a mount of Deborah, and the people would go to her for counsel. And you find when she rose. She wasn't there for her own fame. She wasn't there to make her name great. She wasn't there to put herself up on the top. She says, my heart is for the leaders of Israel. My heart is for the leaders of Israel. And so she was there and she gave them counsel. And she reigned in her time as a judge for 40 years. And the land rested. The land rested because she came into her place of authority. You see somebody like, um, in fact, let's, let's, let's move on to somebody like, Hannah, 
She was a woman that believed God. That this is just ordinary people. Ordinary people, but they've got an extraordinary God. And God has a plan, a strategic plan on their life. And so here was Hannah. She was again at a time when the nation was backslidden. And she went to the temple and she was crying out to God because she was barren. She couldn't have children. And the priest of the day, who was like the king, um, came and he started to um, accuse her and, 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 as it were, abuse her because he thought that she was drunk. And she says, no, sir, no, sir, I'm not drunk. She says, I'm crying and I'm wailing before God because I want a child. And, uh, and he prayed for her and she went away and she became pregnant. And she says, if God gives me this child, I'm going to give, give this child to him all the days of his life. What is that? That as a woman, she had a dream. In those days, you didn't have social security. You didn't have any form of support of government. Your security was your children. And when they grew up, they would, they would support you when you were old. And so she was a woman that was barren, and so she would have had no support. And her dream was to have a child. She could have got offended with Eli, who was accusing her, but she refused to get offended. She says, no, sir, I'm crying out to God for a child. And when God gave her her heart desire, she gave that back to him. She gave that back to him. Listen to her words. In 1 Samuel 1.28, it says, Therefore, talking about this child, she says, Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. That young child that was, that was born from her womb was Samuel, the prophet. And he was a little boy that when she weaned him at whatever age, she took him to the temple and he served Eli, who was a backslidden high priest at the time. The nation was an absolute apostasy. And here's this child at a young age. He goes to the temple and he begins to lift up a standard. Do you remember the story where the little guy comes in and he runs because he was, he was serving Eli and he ran to Eli uh, in the middle of the night and he said, Eli, Eli, you've called me. And Eli says, go back to bed. And the little guy went back to bed. And Samuel came up again. And he goes, Eli, you called? He said, go back to bed. Third time it happened. And Eli realized the Spirit of God started visiting him as a young child. The anointing on him. This mother had prayed over him. God, he's lent to you. You've given him to me. You've given him to me. I'm giving him back to you. God has given you talents. He's given you gifts. He's given them to you. What are we to do? What this lady is they are lent to the Lord. Here's my ability. Here's my talent. Here's my gifts. They are yours, God. They are yours. I'm lending them to you to serve in your temple, to serve in your nation. The, the talents are there. They're given to you. And so here's this lady. And you know, she knew that God was her rewarder. God rewarded her what with? A child that was going to bring this nation back to him. Samuel, you read, he was on the verge of two dispensations. He was, he was a judge and he was a prophet and he was a leader even when he anointed Saul to become the king. He actually had, had ruling power at that time. He's quite an incredible man. What was behind that incredible man? There was a little woman of faith who had significance. We may not think she's significant in our eyes because she didn't take down a, a giant. But her faith and her understanding of her covenant with God, she had input into that little boy to the point where his heart was open to hear from the Spirit of God, even in the environment where he was, where there was absolute apostasy. They weren't serving God. His, Eli's sons were getting drunk and then they ended up dying. Um, just just, just disgusting things that were going on at that time. And this little boy, where did that influence come from? From his mother. She served God in her generation. She served the purposes of God in her generation. Not only that, we find out that God has pressed down, shaken together, running over. He gave her more children. He gave her more children. I think five, five other sons or, or whatever it was. Praise God. Look at Naomi. Here's another amazing story. A sound coming from her heart of this young girl, Ruth. 
you find Naomi was married. She had two sons, and they married two foreign daughters, and they'd, lived, they'd gone and lived out of Israel at the time. And Naomi, her husband died, and her two sons died, and she was left with these two daughters. Again, these beautiful girls, Ophrah, as well as Ruth. And uh, she heard, Naomi heard that, hey, that there was, there was um, prosperity back in Israel. And so she got up and decided to go back. She says, come on, girls, we're going back. And she decided to go back halfway, or well, not halfway there. She got to one of the towns or one of the hills, and she stopped and she said, no, girls. She said, this is not right. She said that you're coming back with me. She says, go back to your father's house. Go back to your gods. She says, because even if I get married again, and, and in those days the culture was that the two widows, in order for them to be married, Naomi had to get married again, had to have sons, and then those girls would marry those sons to bring seed from that lineage. Very confusing. But that was how it went. Okay, and so she said, she said to her, she said to them, she says, you go back. She says, don't stay with me. There's no future with me. I've got nothing. And even if I did get married, by the time I've got a child, what are you going to do then? She says, go back to your father's house. Go back to your gods. And so we find out she said that three times. And eventually offered, she kissed her, her goodbye, hugged her and cried, and she, she went back. And Ruth said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. And we pick up the story here. And Ruth 1.15, Ruth, Naomi says to Ruth, she says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Now listen to the sound that comes forth from Ruth's heart. It's a sound of the kingdom. It's a sound of dedicated to the purposes of God. It says here, but Ruth replied to Naomi, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And so this young girl says, I'm not going to leave you. I don't care whether I have a husband. I don't care whether I have children. I am committed to you and your God. I'm committed to your purpose, the purpose of God. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I die. And God judge me if if anything but death separates. That is something that moves you in your heart. That is the calling of God. You can go back to your people and your gods, or you can go this way. You see, there is always two roads. And Ruth got a hold of that. She had absolute faith in this God that Naomi served, that your God is my God. I'm not going back. I've found the truth. And it set me free. I'm a covenant woman now. I was a Gentile, but now I've come into your country and into your household, and I'm not going back. And you find, read the story, go home, and read the story this week. And you see the servant heart of this young girl to serve. They had no, no, nothing. They went back into Israel. They had nothing. And she would glean at, at, at night. After all the reapers had been in the fields, God said, leave the night time and leave the sides of the field for that, those that have got no work, those that have got no money, and let them come and reap at night. And so she did that. And she would bring that back and she would feed her mother-in-law and give to her mom and support her mother-in-law. Until finally, Naomi said, go and, 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 and reap in the fields of Boaz. Boaz is a distant relative. He was an older man. And so she reaped there. And the end of the story was that in the end, Boaz married her. And he says, why do you want to marry me? I mean, in fact, it's an incredible story. I can't, I can't tell it all now. But here's a beautiful young girl marrying an older man. Why? To give seed to that heritage. And there's, a, there's an important part of, of what God does in, 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 the, in the lineage of, of families. And Boaz said, said, well, I'm not your first relative. There's somebody else. They checked to find out whether that man wanted to marry her. No, they didn't. And so Boaz married her. 
and she had a son. And that son, hallelujah, praise the Lord, was the great-great-grandfather of King David. It was the Obed, and Obed had Jesse, and Jesse had David. How did this little Gentile girl know that God had a destiny and had a plan for her, and that that would be wrought with her servant heart, with her commitment to serve God? You see, she didn't know that. All she knew was that she loved God and wanted to serve her mother-in-law. And so, to impact a nation, she impacted a nation all right. She impacted a nation all right. And so, mums, while you're at home right now, you're looking after these little guys, these little girls, who's in your household? You may think, goodness me, God, what have I got? Who's in your house? What are they carrying for God? They're carrying something. You're carrying something. And your commitment to God, your servant heart, speaking life over them, declaring that God is the everlasting God, is impacting their lives and what God's going to do from there. Praise the Lord. And can you hear that sound? I, for me personally, all these years reading these stories, and I would read them, and I go, Father, I want to be like that. I want you to read that about me. I want you to look down and that, and you see that heart of Ruth in me. You know, mums, we have a we have two paths that we can take. We can either speak negatively over the children, or we can speak life over our children. We can. We're going to either look at what the world is doing and saying and, and what's happening there, otherwise we're going to speak our covenant and our birthright over. As for us and our house ladies, they will serve the Lord. As for us and our household, we will serve the Lord. Speaking out, women of faith, declaring that our house will serve the Lord. They will fulfill the purposes of God in their generation. Hallelujah. And so what a reward to have King David as your grandson. <laughs> We've got here Norma here, who's got great-great-grandchildren. What a reward to have a King David in the lineage. And you have. Who knows what God's got in your, in, with all your great-great-grandchildren. Wow. When we sacrifice and give to God, he brings and piles over and above what we could imagine. Ruth could have gone back and served and, and gone back to her people. My goodness. Her story wouldn't be here. Her story wouldn't be here. It wouldn't be in the pages of this book for eternity. She would be a no name. And maybe not even in eternity with us in heaven. David, the sound that rings forth from his, is there not a course? Is there not a course? A young shepherd boy turning up to the battle and hearing the insults and, and, and hearing Goliath mocking the king of Israel who was Saul and mocking the children of Israel and he held them in fear and here's a little 17 year old young man who knows his covenant and he comes and he says who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God who is he and he was a giant coming from the giants. You read about the giants. Some of them had 24 fingers and toes and all kinds of stuff. And God said for them to be wiped out. They needed to be wiped out because it was a time when the angels came down and copulated with the women of God, with, 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 with women in the earth. And they brought forth children. And so some of those nations, God said, they had to be wiped out because the seed had been corrupted. Why was the seed corrupted? Because God said in the beginning in Genesis, in Genesis 3, he says the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head, Satan. And so Satan was looking throughout eternity and he was wanting to destroy the seed of man on the earth so there would be no pure seed. And so that's what I said, why Israel was kept and had to be protected and could not marry outside because God needed to keep the seed pure so that then the Christ could come. And so here was this giant, an uncircumcised Philistine. And his brother said, who are you coming up to battle and coming and looking at us? And they started to insult him. 
And it'll day, but he comes around and says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause that this uncircumcised giant should defy the armies of the living God? Men, you read that and you think, come on. Is there not a cause to fight for in our nation? Why do men go to war? Why did the Anzacs rise up and go to war? There is a cause. There is a fight inside a man that wants to stand up and fight for a cause. And he will give his life. God put that inside a man. Us women, I don't want to go fight and get blood. I don't want to do that. I'd much rather pray. <laughs> and let them go. But isn't that incredible how God has placed within men the ability and the, and, the, and the determination and the fight inside to give their lives for their country, for their wives, for their children, to be abused and, 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 and have all kinds of stuff in, in, a, in a battle? My goodness, is there not a cause? And as we said, that David, he served God in his, in his generation. He served the purposes of God. Let's have a quick look. We're running out of time here. Whoa. Quick look at Esther. Esther. Mordecai said, Esther, you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. She again was a, Jew, a, 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 a Jewish girl in a, in a pagan kingdom. And she'd become part of the harem. She was obviously very beautiful. And, uh, and we find that Haman hated the Israelites. And he wanted to annihilate them all. And so he'd gone before the king and said, King, these, are you, these people, the Jews are your enemy. Help, can I write a decree that on a certain day, on the 13th day, we're going to annihilate all of the Jews throughout your whole realm? And so the king, not doing his, his homework, said yes. And he signed a decree that could not be revoked. And so here we have uh, Mordecai, who, who, um, Esther's, Esther's uncle, who started to pray and cry out. These, he was a godly man, a Jewish man and he started to cry out because all of all of Israel was going to be annihilated, destroyed. And here she was in the palace and he said to Esther, he says, You go before the king and you start to make petition to him on behalf of your nation. And she turns around and she says, Mordecai, you know, you know the law, everyone knows the law, that no one approaches the king without being summoned. And I haven't been summoned for thirty days now. And you're telling me to approach him? No one can approach the king, otherwise they'll be put to death unless he stretches out his golden scepter to them. And so Mordecai said, if you don't speak up now, if you remain silent, Esther, deliverance is going to come, but your house is going to be left desolate. Wow. If you don't speak up now, deliverance is going to come, but you will be left desolate. I'm speaking that prophetically to us now. There's a revival that's about to sweep the nations. Deliverance is coming for the nations. The most amazing outpouring of the Holy Ghost is going to come upon the nations of the world. The greatest harvest of salvation we will see. Deliverance is going to come from another source if we don't get involved. But our house will be left desolate. That's what spoke to me when I read that years ago. If I don't speak up now, if I don't fulfill the purpose of God now, deliverance is going to come. God will find someone. But I'll be left desolate. I don't want that. I don't want that. I want to speak up. And so we found out, we find out if you read Esther's story. She said, okay, Mordecai. She says, you go start fast and pray, and I and my ladies will fast and pray, and then we will go before the king. And if I die, I die. we find out she went before the king and the king held out the scepter to her and God turned that whole situation around and Haman ended up hanging on the, ga the, the gallows. Mordecai ended up becoming the prime minister underneath the king. It was incredible. Incredible story. Each one of these are incredible stories as they turned around and said, God, if I die, I die. But I'm going to speak up. I'm going to do what you said for me to do. I'm going to serve your purposes in my generation and then watch how that sound resonates from heaven. Heaven comes down and something amazing happens in our lives, in our world, for God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
There is a sound, church. I'll leave it here. There is a sound. There is a sound of honour. There is a sound coming out into the church world right now. Let me just read this, which Jesus talked about. He said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and he hid it. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells everything. He sells all that he has and he buys that field. That's, 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 that's what we're doing, church. That is our commitment, that we have found a treasure, which is Jesus Christ. We found a kingdom which is the kingdom of God. We found a purpose, which is eternal. And we sell everything that we have. And we go. We go with that. We go with that. Let me read here the pearl of great price. Jesus talks again in the next verse. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought that. That's what God wants. That's where God's shifting us. And so I'm asking you this morning, I'm asking you this morning, I'm asking you this morning, in fact, let's just read this, I, I might pick it up again later. We're talking about the, we're talking about the King, you know, King David. And uh, he, he'd, taken, he'd taken a um, account of all of his army and he'd sinned against the Lord because God says, don't count them because I'm actually your shield and your reward. You'll go out and fight. Don't count the army, God said. And he sinned against the Lord in a plague. Um, God said, I'm giving you three options or three, three corrections or three punishments or three chastisements because of what you've done as the king. And he said, I'll put you into the hands of the enemy. There'll be a plague on the earth. Or otherwise, there's going to be um, a, um, a drought. And David, knowing God, says, I'll put myself in the hands and the mercy of God. You can be my judge. And God started, and God brought judgment again under the Old Testament. And uh, David was really quite upset with God and said, God, why have you judged my people? Why have you judged your people when I'm the one that sinned? Judge me. I'm the one that sinned. These people have not, have, have not, have not done anything wrong. And God said in that place for him to buy a field and to offer a sacrifice for his sin. And God would stop the plague. And so he, David turned up to this place and he said, listen, I want this field and I need, I need this animal to sacrifice to God so the plague can be stopped. And the man said, I'm going to give it to you. I'll give you the field. I'll give you everything. I'll give you, I'll give you the, 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 the animals. I'll give you the fire, everything. And David says, no, don't. And this is the response. I will not offer burnt offerings to my God of that which costs me nothing. I will not offer. The message translation, the king says, I'm not going to offer God, my God, sacrifices that are no sacrifices. Wow. And so David bought this, the, the threshing floor and he offered the burnt offerings and the result was God moved by the prayers and that day the disaster ended. I'm not going to offer God my life, my sacrifice, my time, it's not. I mean, casual. We don't do casual church. God is not worth our casual commitment. Coming to church late. Is He worth that? Is that a sacrifice? Wow. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God of that which costs me nothing. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of our best. He's worthy of our best. He knows our heart. He knows our heart. What's my best? What is my best? It may not be your best. Your best may be better than mine. But God says you don't compare yourself with anybody else. I'm looking for the best in your heart. You may be a baby Christian that's just come on in right now. And your best may not look like anything like pastor's best. But God loves that heart, that baby that's just come into the kingdom. And your best you may still be smoking. You may still be drinking. You may be doing a whole lot of other stuff. But your best is God. I love you. And that's as much as you can give him right now because that's the best. And that is an offering. 
That is an offering to our God. 